Okay. As our audience comes in, um, we want to be mindful of the time, so we are going to start uh, start this webinar. This is the Pivot Publisher Series, Preparing for Transitions, Succession Planning. Uh, good afternoon and good morning, everyone. Welcome. I'm Evelyn Sue, the co-executive director of the Robert C. Maynard Institute for Journalism Education. And just a few quick words. If you don't uh, know much about the Institute, we were founded in the 1970s by a very diverse group of journalists, unusual for the time, black, white, LGBTQ. And they came together to address the appalling lack of diversity and opportunity for journalists of color in our country's newsrooms. And the disparaging response they received at that time was, well, we can't find anyone qualified. And so they set out to build training programs, rigorous ones that were later widely copied, uh, often months in length, whose graduates uh, effectively desegregated this country's newsrooms. It started out with a reporting program, moved into editing, then management, then executive leadership. Uh, and we continue that work to this day through our Mainer 200 program, our fault lines workshops, and our client work. Now, if you are joining us today, you probably recognize that succession planning and preparing for a leadership transition can be daunting, but necessary. It's unavoidable. Uh, it's difficult to leave something you've created, trying to preserve its legacy, at the same time build the means to let the organization adapt to changing times. It takes thoughtful, intentional, strategic decision-making. And additionally, people of color who are founders did so because they determined a need in their community, and they have deep emotional ties to their work. Uh, we wish we could point to you to seamless examples, but right now we are uh, gathering information as we go along, and uh, this is part of Today's webinar is part of that process. I'm joined today by three panelists who know firsthand about transitions and succession planning. Randall Yip is the founder of AJAM News, a nonprofit news organization ser serving Asian Americans and Pacific Islander communities. Mokhtar Ibrahim founded the Sahan Journal five years ago growing it from a solo operation into a 20-person staff. Uh, now he is stepping down, and we'll hear more about that process and how it is going. Jane McDonnell is the former executive director of the Online News Association. Now she is the CEO of Free Range Media, which assists nonprofits with succession plans and much more. But Randall, let's start with you. 
Uh, you had experience in broadcast television, but there came a point at which you you knew what your passion and your passion project was, and that was AJAM News. Uh, tell us how it's going, and even though it's early in the game, how you are thinking about things like transitions. Thank you, Evelyn. It is, seems kind of strange that six months into my job, I'm already thinking about my exit plan. Um, I'm not planning to exit anytime soon, so I, I, there are no major announcements tonight. But I did want to mention that to understand why I'm already thinking about my exit plan, I have to think about how ASM News started and what made me start ASM News. So I, I had worked in broadcast television, TV news for 40 years, and about 30 years into it, I began looking back on my career and realizing that some of the goals I had set to set off to accomplish had not been accomplished. And I realized that my career was on the closer to winding down than it was just starting. And that if I wanted to accomplish it, I, I really needed to focus on accomplishing that goal. And when I started getting into broadcast television, my goal was to diversify the content and news media. And I realized I didn't really have the opportunities or I hadn't really didn't have the initiative to do that in my 30 years. I, I had done a lot of stuff that I had been proud of. My last job, which is 21 years at ABC7 as senior producer to someone on your side consumer unit, I really got to make a difference. I was able to advocate for consumers. I was able to push legislation through the state legislature for nursing home reform to protect dog owners from unscrupulous dog trainers who actually not only harm me, but in some cases killing their dogs and protecting consumers against unlicensed locksmiths. So that I was really proud of, and I was really proud that I was able to make a difference. My pr prior job that I was most proud of was working at KPTV in Portland, Oregon, launching a new three-hour morning newscast. It was brand new. We had nothing. We didn't have a staff when I came on board. So I got to build a staff. I got to be involved in most of the hiring decisions. We hired about 30 people. I built something from ground down. And after five years, it ended up really successful. And it just gave me an opportunity to be really creative and use my leadership skills to lead the team, bring us all together, and build something that we were all proud of. So when I realized that I hadn't had an accomplished my goal of diversifying the news content, I decided that the only way to do that, rather than wait for permission, was to do it myself. So I launched ASAM News. Now, it, it did fit into where I, where I was at ABC7, because at the same time, our managers were telling everybody, we all really need to immerse ourselves in social media. We need to understand it, and we need to implement it in our, in our jobs. And not wanting to be left behind, for me, hands-on training is... is it's the best for me. So I thought ASAM News would be a great way for me to be better prepared to implement social media at ABC7 within my job. What I didn't realize was that I was onto something. You know, I decided that I was going to basically aggregate news about Asian Americans that other people were already doing because I had a full-time job. So there was no way I was going to be able to do a daily news site with original content all by myself. I had nobody doing it with me. But as I was doing it and I saw that I noticed that people were following me that I didn't know because when I first started this, I just assumed it would be my friends who followed my site. But what I realized, it, these were per total strangers that were following my site and were really 
enthusiastic about what I was doing. So this went on for like 10 years and I was just going through the motions, just happy to break even on the site, spending my own money, but being able to break even primarily because I didn't pay anybody. And people were coming to me offering to help. And when I told them I couldn't pay them, I was surprised when they said, no, I, I'm, I'm offering to volunteer. So the volunteer pool increased, our content increased, our followers increased more than I had ever anticipated. And then when Smart News and Microsoft Start or Microsoft News approached me unsolicited saying, we've been following what you're doing. We like what you're doing. We like permission to republish your materials. That's when I knew I was really onto something. And I really had always wondered what would happen to the site if I just devoted all my time to it. Um, and about the same time, an investor came on board and, and talked to me for a good year about possibly investing. And at the end of the year, we decided the best route was to become a nonprofit. So he assisted me in, in transitioning to a nonprofit. He is now on my board today. Um, but it became overwhelming, and I just knew that I couldn't continue both as am news and my full-time job at ABC7. There's just no way. I, w- I was getting behind on some of the government regulations uh, on these things that until you start a nonprofit, you don't even realize you're going to have to do, you know, supervising a staff because I had gained some foundation funding and was starting to pay people. You know, every, almost everyone was being paid except me since I had a job. And I just, just decided I need to follow my passions. And I think, you know, part of me, I didn't have the confidence to do that, to give up my job, to go to a job where I had no guarantee to, of ever making a salary or ever making even a wage. Um, but I decided I needed to follow my passion. That is what all, I've always done. But, you know, I, I am, you know, 40 years into my professional career, so I'm not a spring chicken. So I know I'm not going to be doing this forever. And, and I want ASAM News to, to last beyond me. So in my mind, I want to do this for three to five years, leave it on strong financial footing, and hand it off to somebody that can take it to the next level. So yes, I'm already starting succession planning, but if you were to ask me if I had somebody already in mind to succeed me, the answer was no, but it's definitely something I'm thinking about. Thank you so much. And uh, I think we'll get into some of those. uh, We'll get into the weeds a little bit about succession planning as we... uh, go further into the conversation. I'd like to turn now to Mokhtar because you're in the thick of this process. Uh, you have just created a spectacular, uh, it's been a spectacular journey, a tremendous growth. Uh, and now uh, you've announced your departure from Sahan Journal and um, take us a bit through that journey. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, this is a very important, important topic, uh, topic for me and, uh, a topic that I care about a lot. And I wish I had this kind of, um, webinar when I was thinking about <laughs> transitions and, um, because, you know, for many founders like us, this is brand new. Like we don't have a template. We, we don't have, um, you know, the guidance and, and expertise of someone who has done it before us. Uh, so it's just some context. I founded San Journal in 2019, just right before the pandemic, right before the murder of George Floyd. And, uh, it was just a solo operation. It was a passion project. And, um, when we launched in late 2019, um, uh, everything just exploded around us. You know, the pandemic started, uh, the, uh, George Floyd was murdered. 
And that was when we were just trying to build the infrastructure of our organization in terms of hiring uh, reporters. And we brought in a report for America, uh, Corps members, and we are just contracting editors and all of that. So, um, uh, 2019, 2020, 2021, it was really a busy uh, time for us um, of, you know, building staff, hiring people, editors, um, looking for funding and stabilizing operations around finances. And at the same time, I am a father of uh, uh, then uh, three young daughters. Um, I had a three-year-old, two-year-old and an infant. And I was just, you know, so consumed by work and everything happening around me in, in the early periods of Sahan Journal. Um, and, you know, I have been, you know, 2022 uh, is actually one the first time that this idea of, um, I've been just hearing whispers in my head that it was time to slow down, time to um, think about transition and, and handing over this operation to someone else. And I, I knew that time wasn't the right time to to make that decision. I wasn't ready emotionally to give up uh, my role. Um, the organization wasn't ready. Uh, the finances uh, and the funding and the operations and the hiring, we were so busy. Um, and then um, we welcomed a baby uh, into our family in June uh, of last year. And uh, I took a break. Uh, that was, you know, the first time I took a break. And I kind of stepped back from the operation um, of, of running the organization for the first time. And that actually gave me a window into um, the organization. It gave me these perspectives of, okay, I'm taking a break and things are going well. Um, we have a good leadership structure in place. We have a strong funding. We have a talented team. The organizational uh, culture was very healthy. We had a high retention rate. And that was actually the first time the idea of um, stepping down uh, came to me. Uh, it became very real. And I started talking to my board members one-to-one, uh, just kind of gauging the interest and what I was going through. And surprisingly, they were all um, very helpful and understanding uh, in my decision. And, you know, uh, for me, I all along, I wanted to build an organization that was not a founder dependent. And when you are a founder, um, you don't want to be the organization. Um, you, you want this to outlive you. You want to leave a legacy. Uh, you want to build a durable, thriving organization, even if you leave. Um, so I, I knew that was the best interest of the organization. Um, so in a way it was, um, I just wanted to disentangle myself from the organization. And I thought that was the best time um, to make that. And I think the most challenging part for me was uh, the communications around it. Um, because, you know, we are now a very established organization that's known across the country and across, uh, you know, Minnesota. And when you are the founder, the stakes are very high. So um, uh, it took a lot of time and emotional energy to communicate with founders, uh, to communicate with the various stakeholders within the organization, the staff, the leadership team, the community. Um, and and it took up a lot of time and energy out of me. And I, that wasn't something else I was planning. Um, I wasn't ready for it. But I, I thought the communication was, was really very challenging. And um, when you're communicating with the public, especially as the founder, 
um, you have to think a lot of um, different things. And I think that was um, one challenge aspect of me. And another, you know, um, another thing for me was I, I want to cultivate more leaders uh, of color who, who can come in and, and find an organization. So in a sense, it was a way for me to, um, to make, you know, the job of the next person easier. If, if I step down and someone comes, we have, we'll have more leaders who can, you know, become publishers and CEOs. And, and fortunately that person will have me. I will be around. Um, I can offer my guidance and expertise and everything that I went through. So they don't have to start all over again. So just making the journey easier for the next person is another consideration, um, that they had. So that was kind of overall, um, uh, the process that I went through when I was thinking about the transition. Uh-huh. Thank you, Mukhtar. And you've mentioned so many things that we'll probably want to follow up on <laughs> this uh, conversation. But I do want to turn right now to uh, Jane, who actually has come out fully through the other end of the process. And in her time as ED of uh, the Online News Association, took it, I think, in my view, from kind of a niche organization into a uh, an organization that really was at the forefront of journalism. And so Jane, tell us about that journey. You were, you left on a very high note and uh, that must've been both made it easier, but also hard. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Evelyn. Um, I'm nodding my head so much listening to Randall and Mukhtar because I, those experiences that you're having right now uh, resonate with me so much and was so much a part of my experience um, slightly different. And I think that's the interesting thing about the succession journey is it's different for everybody in certain ways, depending on where you are in your life and your career. Um, for me, it was slightly different being a little bit older. Um, I was starting to think about my health and all the things I wanted to do while I was still healthy. Um, I was watching friends who were getting ill and not enjoying their lives. And, you know, you had your two weeks vacation or whatever it was. And that was pretty much what you did. And I wanted to change that dynamic in my life. But um, I think the other thing that was a huge driver for me, which was unexpected, was um, in 2015 at ONA 15, we had a keynote on Ferguson um, with some people who had terrific journalists who had been on the ground and covered it. And Wesley Lowry was one of those folks. And that keynote was was just an eye opener for me um, because it made me realize as I was listening that no matter how much allyship or championship or sponsorship uh, you you think you have, as an older white woman, I did not have the lived-in experience or the perspective that that these journalists were were talking about and were bringing to their work in their communities. So that started me, I think, pushed me a little bit more faster than I might have otherwise. Because when you have a good gig, you know it's kind of hard to leave, right? You're you're you have to think about the money you're making. You have to think about security. Um, and also think about your identity, which is really tied to your work, especially as a, as a uh, executive director of a job, that, of a community that you really care about. So, um, when I started to go on that journey of looking at succession planning, I was on my own also. And I, but I had a lot of people to go to to talk to. And the one thing I did realize, which is what, um, Mukhtar and Randall are doing so well is doing it ahead of time, giving yourself the space and the thoughtful um, consideration 
for not just yourself, but for your board and for your team and for your community, your membership, um, and to have to make sure that they're they're left in a good place. The other thing was, uh, and you've mentioned all this before, the uh, ability to have the four things that I think are really, really necessary for this, you've all mentioned, um, which is uh, you have a stable organization, forward thinking. Um, hopefully you have a good board who gets it, who understands and is signed on and is supportive and collaborative. Um, you also have uh, the time, which is, I think, probably the most important thing. And I want to stress that to folks who are listening who may feel overwhelmed by this idea. Um, and uh, you also have uh, support from your community. You know that your community, if when you explain to them why you're doing what you're doing, will understand. So um, when I left, I felt uh, I felt as though we were in a good place. I felt all the things that you would hope to feel, that the funders understood what we were doing, that the community understood, that most importantly, I think our team, uh, who were terrific and still are terrific. I think many people are still there. Um, at, but I also felt uh, this secondary life for me was an interesting piece. And I think that's something we don't talk about enough when you leave what happens, right? Um, and how you have to sort of make that change, especially if you're slowing yourself down and not jumping into something else. So that's something I have a lot of conversations with people about too. Jane, a follow-up, excuse me, uh, as uh, the head of Free Range Media, you you work with organizations and is it, is it different for nonprofit media uh, as opposed to other um, other industries? Is it different for profit, nonprofit? Uh, you know, are you seeing any any trends? Yeah, I think it's very different. Um, two things I'll say. One is um, obviously corporate, commercial, mainstream, uh, larger organizations. They come at this from a much more objective. And uh, I'd say uh, operational way. Um, it's considered fairly uh, common for corporate corporations and also corporate journalism to have these conversations and to make sure that they have a succession plan in place. With nonprofits, it's really hard for all the reasons that everybody's mentioned already. You're so focused on on everything else going on and you're doing it. You're not just, you're not just focused on it. You're actually trying to make the budget. You're, you're making sure that you're hiring the right people. You're worried about everything from soup to nuts. And with in corporate situations, you don't have to do that. You have folks down the line who can help you with all this until you build a team and you have a good staff, which, um, as a good executive director or founder, you need to do, uh, you, it's really hard to, to think about how do I even start to think about succession planning? How do I even, and, and as, as they mentioned, there were no templates. There were no templates for people to follow. But I'm hearing this conversation now more and more and more people are reaching out, which is a great sign um, to, to start the conversations earlier. And I think if I can get one key point across to folks, it would be that you don't have to be leaving. You, what you should be doing is thinking about it as Randall is doing is three to five years is not too long to be doing this. You, what you want to do is think about how do I, how do I first of all talk to my board? How do I talk to my team? 
And then how do I talk to the people who support us? And then how do I talk to my members? And that's the process over those years. It takes a while. Um, and it also takes a while for the board to decide how they want to continue in your absence. Do we want to look internally or do we want to, um, do we want to go for someone new? And that's a whole different conversation. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say that it's now a, uh, it's a, it's a coming topic, which is, I think, a really healthy thing for everyone. Yeah. And I will just add that, you know, uh, since I announced my departure uh, a couple of months ago, I have, um, been talking to a lot of people who are thinking about um, a lot of founders of nonprofit news organizations who are thinking about transitions and succession planning and all of that. And I'm uh, so pleased that, you know, we, we want to normalize uh, this. We, it should not be, a, a, you know, we should not be waiting for a crisis or when something happens and all that. We, we need to make it as uh, normal as possible so that it's a part of, you know, the organization and part of the leadership transition and all that. It's, it's, Healthy. It's a very healthy thing to think about uh, succession planning, and when it's time, you are ready to do it. Yeah, I call those hair on fire moments. You know, the the when you absolutely positively have to act, and everyone's running around, uh, not knowing which direction to go in. And boy, you don't want that for your organization. I'm just curious, so Jane and Mokhtar, when you guys were preparing to leave your jobs, in the back of your mind, did you have candidates already? that you wanted to like maybe recruit or you had already been grooming or it's just something where, okay, now we're going to open up the job announcement and see who comes in the door. Did you want to take the book talk? Cause you're closer to this. Than yeah. Uh, we, we are. Um, yeah. We are still going through the sort and all of that. So for me, I um, no, I, I, I had no one in mind um, when they made the decision. I just wanted to see, you know, who can come after me, who is ready, who is qualified who can take the organization to the next level. And um, we're actually um, getting ready to post the job um, in the next couple of weeks. And and uh, people, you know, when you announce you're uh, stepping down, you'll get a lot of questions of what's next and all of that. And people don't realize that it could take even a year <laughs> or so to, to find a successor. And you're still doing your day-to-day job and all of that. So the... Uh, um, Crandall, I'm glad you are thinking about this three years, you know, ahead or four years ahead because it couldn't take up that time. Um, when you announce, uh, I announced it in, I think, late, um, September. Now we are in almost February. We're going to be hiring someone, a lot of interviews and all of that. So it could really take up at least a year to, to even complete the process of identifying a successor. I, I wanted to ask Mukhtar. You you would not be doing this if you were not confident that the legacy that you created would continue. So what were the things that you were doing day to day or year to year to create that environment um, so that the legacy would continue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one big thing that um, helped me to make this decision is... Um, the people we have at the organization. I think for me, it comes down to the culture you cultivate in the organization. I think you could have the best funding, the best technology, the best journalism. But if, if people are not at the center of that, everything just, you know, becomes, um, uh, not that important. Um, so we spent a lot of time hiring the high talent, um, young, diverse talent and putting a leadership structure. 
that can make the organization run smoothly, even when I am not around. Um, so we have um, a director of development who is responsible for fundraising and and you know membership and major gifts and institutional giving. We have someone who is responsible for operations and finance, you know, accounting, bookkeeping, uh, tracking grants, and those really important um, function. We have a literary director responsible for, you know, journalism and editing and mentoring young um, talent. We have um, a leader who is responsible for audience growth and and uh, strategic growth and working across departments to identify uh, innovation and areas for growth and community engagement and that exciting work of, you know, making sure the organization is out and visible in the community. Um, and we have a sales, uh, an advertising uh, person responsible for, you know, uh, generating an income for the organization. So I think when we stabilized that leadership structure and they were, I was confident and comfortable that everyone, everything was going smoothly and uh, we were seeing good results. And we're hiring good talent that were passionate and mission driven. Um, I, I just realized, you know, things are really stable. And, um, if someone comes after me, they will see all the infrastructure and everything we built around, you know, fundraising, membership, audience growth and, uh, everything around it. And they can run the organization. Um, so the organization could fun itself without me. Um, the way it is right now, the infrastructure and the leadership, you know, team and the, you know, the whole staff are all, you know, mission aligned and everything is going really well. Um, and when I talked to the founders, you know, they already knew about that. They, they were like, you know, Sun Journal is going really well. It's doing amazing work. Um, we had a high retention rate, which is really unusual in the media space. Um, and, you know, that really gave me the peace of mind that um, that allowed me to make this decision. Otherwise, as you said, no, I wouldn't have made this decision if I knew uh, things were not, um, you know, going well or things were not stable or thing, you know, when we had no fun, you know, stable funding uh, or financial footing. Um, so the, the, the idea for me was to make sure um, we'll get to this point. I didn't know when we'll get to that point. But it came, you know, quicker. Um, and now I think we are ready to bring in someone who can understand, you know, everything we have built. And then that person's job is to, you know, move the organization forward and take it to the next level. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Jane, you did have the opportunity to uh, groom your successor, to train your successor. Will you uh, tell us about that? Yeah, that was one of the pleasures of my life. Um, I was very lucky in that uh, we had a deputy director, Irving Washington, who, um, no spoiler here, he got the job and he uh, had did a terrific job and he has now moved on. Um, and that made things easier and harder to some extent. Um, the board, when I went to them with the uh, succession plan outline, and when they asked me if I had thoughts about it, I championed Irving, and I think the board was pretty much 85% there. Um, but we had to do due diligence, so um, there was a hiring process. But the thing that really struck me and the reason why I love the organization so much in the community is because the board knew that there might be a few things that might come up about Irving's um, background that they wanted to strengthen. And instead of having that um, 
negate him, you know, from, from the job. They said, no, let's, let's do that. Let's get him the training he needs. So they got a scholarship for a leadership program, uh, at Harvard and, uh, he went to that. And that to me was sort of the epitome of not just choosing someone, but giving them the tools to do the job better and not just waiting for them to fail. Um, which I think is another piece of this that's really important. Um, if you have someone in your organization who you feel has the potential and the talent, maybe isn't quite there yet, that qu- not quite there yet, is it as important as giving them the tools to help them to get there? Um, and I think a lot of people get looked over because of that. And it's a shame because eventually they probably leave maybe out of frustration or, um, they, somebody else just sees that light in them that you haven't seen or, um, were prepared to see. So, um, I highly recommend to folks that they look in their organizations because that's the other thing about having that much time. It gives you the luxury of being able to do that, to look within your organization and say, okay, let me not overlook this person. Let me take another look. Great. Thank you. There are a couple more questions I want to get to, but, uh, one of the magic words that was mentioned was template. And it does occur to me that we have, uh, brought up a number of points that can serve as part of a, as part of a template. Certainly, uh, Mukhtar, when you were talking about just having all the ducks in a row, all the functions of the organization in place, so that there was a comfort level uh, uh, that you were passing uh, along in an intact organization, a thriving organization to whoever your success- successor uh, would be. Jane, you talked about the having thinking a bit down the line and having the opportunity to uh, to select and to train uh, a, a likely successor. Uh, we've also talked about um, the importance of communications and making sure all your stakeholders, your staff, your your customers, your funders, uh, everyone, your supporters in the community knows about this and uh, and and understands the and understands the game plan. Um, other key points that I haven't mentioned that would go into a template. Anyone? Yeah, I would say um, if I if I can say I think that um, that folks get intimidated by this process really quickly. It's difficult mm-hmm. um, to think about when you're thinking about everything else, as we mentioned, and. What, what a good thing to keep in mind is that you can start with just a very simple template, which is maybe five to six pages. And really what it is, is a succession plan that helps you get through an emergency leave, gets you through a temporary leave, it gets you through a, a permanent departure. So it covers all three bases. And it's a great way to, to start to talk to your board about it if you're just, um, or whoever you're you're reporting to, um, because it makes it an easy way to say, "Look, I'm looking out for the organization here in a way that keeps you covered if someone if something happens to me and I need to leave immediately, or if something happens to me and I, I become ill and I need to be out for three months." And the next step would be, if I'm leaving, 
then we can start this process um, too. But that may be down the road. It may be three years, it may be five years, it may be two months. Um, so I think that not being intimidated by the fact that you can start this process early with this document that is a, very easy to refer to and gives you some peace of mind. And it also includes, I think, what Mukhtar was talking about, which is all your document retention, where all the things are that people need to get to if they need to an emergency. Um, and it in- also includes an interim person to step in. And that person could be the next ED or founder uh, in uh, in training, or it could be um, the person who you would like to just see help you and assist you as you move through a transition. So it covers you for those bases. It makes it a little easier. And, I, and I've, I've been an open book from the very beginning. I mean, when I was putting together my board and, and inviting them to join our board, I told them I was not going to do this forever, that I, my yeah. plan was in the next three to five years. I've been open to my staff. You know, I only have right now three full-time staff members. And I've told them, I said, I'm not doing this forever. I'm, I hope to leave within three to five years. My goal is to leave this organization on sound financial footing. So that's that way they understand the pressures I'm under because like, like today I, I have a major deadline. It's due at 5 p.m. And I, I, I told my associate editor, I says, I know you, this is your day off, but can you please work for me today? Because I've been thrown this major deadline and I got to get it done. And she gladly did it because she knows what I'm trying to do. I'm open to them when I when I tell them, your funding runs out in July. I'm trying really hard to raise the money. Here's what I'm doing to help raise the money to c- continue your job. They all know this. So they understand that when I'm not totally, you know, immersed in the editorial process, when I say, you know, I, I can't deal with this right now. We're going to have to hand this over to somebody else. One of you are going to have to pick up the bar and run with this because I'm doing this. They need to understand why so that they're supportive of this. I'll have to ask this, what, whether my open book policy works or not. But that's, that's just what I, I've tried to do. Yeah. And I would add, you know, that um, people need to be really emotionally. This is, this is, you know, something you invested in a lot of time. You created it. It's, it's like a baby. And it's hard for some people to hand over. Um, so I think being really emotionally that you are really stepping back and and you will be comfortable um giving this to someone else to lead and take to the next level is something that uh people need to prepare emotionally because ultimately you know this is something you created this is going to be a legacy and making sure that people are ready and excited and that needs to come out of you know everything when you're interacting with founders and talking to the community and um when you're out there uh, people should see that this is a good thing for the organization and your emotion really to convey all the feelings that comes with it. Yeah, and I think uh, along with that comes um, later in the process becomes a communications plan and messaging for that, which um, works across the board for all of those audiences that you have and all the community that you have. Thank you. And then, Jane, a uh, quick follow-up to coming out the other end and what life is like. And you said you had a few points of advice. Um, we should add that to the template as well. Can you? Yeah. Us? And it, it's, it's different for everybody, obviously. Right. Um, but I think for me, uh, because of my, I was, uh, I think I was 62 or 63 when I left. Um, I wasn't quite old enough to retire and I didn't really want to, but I needed a break. 
So you have to balance that. How do I just take the sabbatical and still manage to get back into things when I, when I want to do that? Um, and the way I did it, it's not the way that everybody does it, but the way I did it was, uh, to take on consulting work where I felt as though I could really help with strategy and help with DEI and justice and, and, and make a, a change in, uh, leadership. People who were, um, people who are coming into the ranks of leadership in media and hoping to change that whole complexion of that in every way. Um, so that to me resonated in, in a very deep way for my, how I felt about where I wanted to be, but it also, um, I think I felt like I had a lot of value to bring to that. So, um, that's how it worked for me. But I have to say that it was, it was a little rocky there for a bit because I was so tied to Amine and they were friends. I mean, family, they weren't just, uh, workers or, you know, bosses. Um, so I had to kind of step back a little, but keep my, my game in there somewhere, somewhere. So it's, it's complicated. Thank you. Um, final question for the panel and then we'll see if there are, uh, any questions um, from our audience? Does philanthropy have a role in this? And if so, what? Uh, I, the floor is open. That, yeah, it's funny because a lot, philanthropy loves to kind of figure out where you fit into their goals and, and try to give you funding that fits into their goals. And sometimes... Their goals are good, but it's not necessarily the, the best for the organization. Like oftentimes, they want you to take on certain projects, which are great, and I, I wouldn't take them on unless I fully supported them. But sometimes also, we just need basic funding for to strengthen, give us a stronger foundation to build on. I mean, Mukhtar mentioned all these different positions he's, he's hired for. I would love to have people in those positions. But, you know, th- those are the kind of things that I would love to hear from Mukhtar, how he got those positions funded, because people aren't necessarily interested in funding jobs. They're interested in funding goals. So I'm, I don't know, Mukhtar, if you have anything to say mm-hmm. about that, or I don't want to take this in a different direction. But No, no, absolutely not. I can, I can answer. We have some time. I, I, you know, we, we ask um, founders to give us general operating support. Um, that means, you know, when they give you 100000 you can use it the way that uh, makes sense for the organization. So you need to uh, hire an editor or a reporter or someone who is good at finance. You can use that funding uh, based on what you think it's best for the organization. So that's what, when we're talking to funders, we the first thing we ask is, is this a general operating support? Otherwise, if it's restricted grant uh, and they want you to spend something uh, that might not make, sense for the organization, then we are just adding another expense uh, that you need to sustain after that, you know, uh, funding price up. So it's a matter of um, being honest and transparent uh, when you're talking to founders and, and conveying, you know, what you actually, what do you want for the organization? Is it um, if they are interested in, you know, the mission and what you're doing, can they make that easier for you so you can accomplish uh, fulfilling that, that mission? So general operating support is always the best. Um, and that is what we're using to hire all these essential roles that will help the organization fulfill its mission. Look, Tori, are you finding that there's more uh, foundations that are willing to give you operational support? 
Yeah, they are becoming more um, receptive to the idea of general operating support uh, versus restricted grant. And um, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, complications about restricted grants. And, and sometimes you, you don't need to um, accept, you know, restricted grants that might um, contradict or, you know, might not make sense for the organization overall. Um, so the, the thing that we emphasize a lot in our uh, conversations and, and when we are talking to founders is to uh, make it easy for us to do our job. And that's general operating support so that we can utilize those resources in a way that uh, will benefit the organization. Jane, what about you in the work that you're doing with various organizations? Do you, do you see um, some areas where philanthropy um, can step in and help with this in this area? Yeah, for sure. I think um, operations grants are very much needed all over. Um, it's not the only answer to the problems we're having. <clears throat> we all saw what happened this past week. Um, no matter how much money you have behind you, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to succeed, but um, there needs to be a, a kind of a pronged approach to, I think, um, the idea of stability and sustainability, but also thinking about how organizations are going to be led in the future and making sure that that's sustainable too. Um, and I, I think foundations come at it sideways sometimes. They don't just, they don't see that maybe as a very important funding opportunity, but um, I think it should be. Uh, I don't see a lot of foundations giving grants for succession planning. Um, and I was very happy to hear from Latar that they are doing operational grants. They're doing more. I've been seeing more of those coming to, to uh, media organizations, but it, um, it's nice to hear real evidence of that happening. Thank you, panel. And we, we have a question from the audience. Uh, I'll read it, and um, we might <clears throat> ask the, <clears throat> pardon me, the questioner for uh, clarification. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, for for-profits, is selling an example of a succession plan, um, how does that approach differ from picking a replacement leader? So I what uh, I'm surmising is that if you have a succession plan, it's kind of uh, like you have a president, vice president, secretary, and there's a, a ladder, so to speak, as opposed to a general search for a replacement leader. I, I, am I summarizing that correctly? Is there a way for the questioner to um, to be unmuted and, and to ask this directly? Okay. Yeah, I will, I will just probably uh, jump in and say if it's a for-profit, um, I think that's pretty different um, because if you are the owner of that organization, then you can decide, you know, who to hire, right, as the CEO or someone else. Um, if the Star Tribune, which is, you know, uh, the largest newspaper in Minnesota is looking for a CEO, uh, the owner of the Star Tribune can easily identify someone who can come in. So I, I think um, it, it, the dynamics are a little bit different when it's non-profit, it, it has a board uh, and and um, that process of hiring someone to replace the founder uh, is going to be a very transparent process that, you know, um, is open to everyone unless, you know, you groom someone and there's a very talented um, person who can take up that position and you mentor them and you coach them 
then that person will ultimately apply for the job when it's posted. Um, and uh, but I think it's more um, the complications are different, uh, and the um, it's a for profit and non profits. They, they are the structure and the legalities of everything is different. And I think um, there's uh, yeah, I hope the person who posted can clarify um, the question a bit further. Um, let me ask this. Uh, how closely uh, are you working? Or what's the the role of your board in all of this? And <clears throat> and how can, you know, uh, uh, what should boards be doing it, it mm-hmm. all along to make sure that this process is uh is seamless and and is a good process yeah i can take that the, the role of the board um yeah definitely they're responsible um they you know the ceo reports or the executive director or the founder reports to the board and um especially when you are you know a founder there's a different dynamic right between the board and the founder uh if you're the founder um you know you are Technically, the board chair, you're running, you know, the show and stuff like that. There's different dynamics than when there's a successor, uh, which means, you know, the organization has become, it's going to become a little bit more normal organization, which is a functioning board and the CEO reports to the board. Um, but I think the board, you know, they have to understand this is, you know, uh, an evolution of the organization and they have to support it if, if the CEO has been doing a good job. Um, and when it comes to the hiring, they will be the ones who will be making decisions if they have, you know, they can talk to the networks who is qualified and they can scout the market um, and see who they can encourage to apply for the position. Um, they can talk to the founders uh, to, um, if there are any questions around, you know, um, if the founders have some questions. Uh, the search committee, which will, you know, um, which is some of board members for us, some board members and some community members and stakeholders, um, I'm going to recommend um, who's going to be the final candidate to the board, and the board will ultimately make a decision on that. Um, so the board is, is you know, the decision maker. Uh, ultimately, everything stops at the board level. I've been fortunate to uh, recruit board members that are smarter than me, so I consider all of them mentors. So whenever I have a problem, I go to them and for advice, and I've been fortunate to get some good advice from them. And I'm sure when the plan comes, when I say, okay, I've been telling you for three to, you know, three to five years now that I plan to leave, well, this is the date I'm going to be leaving. I'm, sh- I'm sure they'll start, start tossing names to me for people to reach out to, or they'll start reaching out to people on there as well as to possibly apply for the jobs, you know, as well as having an open job search and maybe even hiring a recruiting firm. But Mukhtar is right. It is important to work directly with your board and have a good relationship with your board so that there are no no surprises on both ends. Jane, is there anything you want to add about the role of the board or good board practice? Yeah, I I agree entirely. Um, And I know it's uh, the ideal is you have a good relationship with your board and their collaboratives. That doesn't always happen for folks. And I think that's another obstacle too to talking about succession um, because immediately you're placing your job on the line in, in your mind. Um, so to protect yourself, you, you sort of back away from it. But um, I think, I think if you start again, if you start early enough, you can, and you have this in, in your mind that you need to do this, you can 
make sure that you're bringing in board members who will be more compatible with what you're thinking about as a succession planning. Um, good boards are, they're just irreplaceable. See, we have um audience question. Not too many people are buying news businesses today, but someone might be interested in purchasing. How do we make our independent newsrooms attractive enough to sell if that is our ultimate succession plan? Open it to the group. I would think everything that everyone's been saying. Um, the health of the organization is, is based on, um, stability, sustainability, good teams, good leadership. Um, and obviously the financial end, you, people want to see the, the profit. Um, I think with nonprofit, we have the, um, uh, sort of luxury of being able to turn that money back around into our communities and our organizations, but you still need to say, we're breaking even or we're, we're doing well and what we're going to be able to keep doing well. So if you're selling, not that you're going to be selling a nonprofit, that's not what we do. But, um, if you're selling a for-profit business, that's, that's what they're going to be looking for. Or, or with nonprofits making the organization attractive enough to get good leadership candidates and mm-hmm. uh, goes to the, the points that you made. Let's see. Let me check. Or, yes, I'm sorry, Randall. Go ahead. But that's okay. I mean, also, you can't sell a nonprofit and turn it over to somebody who wants to turn it into a for-profit. It's just that you have to use the money that, from the sale to form a foundation or some sort of charitable that, that can carry on, you know, good use of that money to carry on your mission, but in a different way. So you wouldn't necessarily do it with the media, but you would do it with the money you made through the sale of the nonprofit to carry on your work other ways. Yeah, good point. And mergers too, I guess that's another another way. Thank you. Now we're um at four minutes to the hour. Let me uh um uh there was uh one uh, uh one request for like some kind of written guidelines or the beginnings of a template. And so uh, we'll have a conversation with the, our organizers and I think we can uh, put something together that will go out with the recording of this webinar. Uh, let me just ask the panel, any final thoughts? Something that wasn't asked about, but it's important to, to, to add. Um, yeah, I was muted. Uh, I just want to say transitions are a wonderful experience, a uh, wonderful journey. And um, when leaders are thinking about this, uh, think about if your organization is ready, if your finances are ready, if uh, you are aligned with the board, uh, if you have a very good uh, compelling communications. And I think um, taking all of that into account is, is going to make the, you know, the process a little bit easier. And I would just quickly add, you know, a strong succession plan and a successful succession plan, leaving the organization strong financial footing, leaving an organization to be able to sustain itself for years to come after you depart. It's a great way to leave a legacy. And it's a great way to, you know, say thank you for all the support, you know, the board and the community has given you for all the work you've done. Amen.
And on that note, let me thank our panel, Randall Yip, Mukhtar Abraham, and Jane McDonald. And thank you for uh, to the Pivot Fund for having the foresight to uh, to introduce this very important topic. And uh, we'll be sharing the knowledge, and I'm sure we'll be populating templates. So thanks again, uh, everyone. Thank you to our audience. And we get to give you back two minutes of your day. So. Thank you. Well, Thank you. Thank you.